Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kave Hoda. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm the host of this fun little humor-adjacent medical podcast, the only medical podcast you'll find ever. Uh, don't double-check that. I'm here today to talk about something I find really interesting, and that is glossophobia. Glossophobia. What is glossophobia? We're going to find out in one moment to help me figure out what that is and how to maybe treat it is an old friend of mine, Misty Schachtel Magia. She is a business strategist. She teaches public speaking and corporate branding. She's the creator of the theater of public speaking. She will teach you everything you need to know about how to perform in public, whether it's public speaking, corporate presentations, medical presentations, etc. And I'm so glad she came on the show. Misty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's It's been like, I do know you from outside the show, and it's been like 20 years since we last spoke. So this is super exciting for me. It's I'm excited for me too. Catch up. I, I'm super excited to catch up. Just, just catch up. <laughs> Let's just have listeners hear us catch up. Does that sound fun? Because you already told them everything they need to know is on my social media. So they can go there and we can catch up. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about glossophobia. It's fear, fear of public speaking. It's very, very common, very common. And I tried to look into this to get like numbers on this to see if I could maybe, I don't know, present this in a in sort of scientific way. But to be honest with you, I saw numbers ranging from it affecting 40 to 75% 
of the the population. So the yeah. the numbers were all over the place, but regardless, <laughs> I think it's pretty high, right? It is pretty high. And I agree with you. They are all over the place. And I don't know if it's because it's broken up for age ranges or male, female. I have no idea, but it is really, from my experience, especially in the corporate environment, I would say majority of people from developers all the way up to C-level executives have some form of fear of public speaking or anxiety around public speaking that is really deep. I, I don't know a lot of people who don't have a little bit of concern. I mean, the people who don't might be psychotic. I feel like you have to have some, there has to be some little fear in you. Like, in, and I've heard, I've heard uh, statistics that there are more people afraid of public speaking than they are of death, which I don't know if that's true. I looked at like, you know, lists of fears and, and, and how people rank their fears. And it's kind of hard to gauge those things because some things you just don't think about that much. But it is funny to me that I think it is pretty universal that people would rank fear of public speaking over fear of death. Because what that essentially means is if they're at a funeral, they would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. It's, <laughs> it's And I understand it. I understand it. Because like, yeah. you know, I, I'm, an, I'm an extrovert from most accounts. I think most people would assume I am at least. But but that doesn't mean I don't get nervous like when I have to like do public presentations. Do you? I mean, how did how did this come about this for you? How did you get into this field? Yeah, for me, honestly, my very first presentation, which I has I have found quite frequently with a lot of the people that I work with, I failed epically. Like it was just a miserable failure. I was shaking so bad. I was dropping my props in my how-to presentation. And that became my story of, I am not good at this. And it wasn't until I took theater in high school. I mean, obviously that was seven seven years old was when that was stamped in my brain. And Wait, wait, you, you gave a presentation at the age of seven? Yeah, well, a lot of times in the California curriculum, you were having to do a book report live or they're asking you to do a how-to presentation on like how to do a skill set as a little kid or, you know, just typical things. Like you have to show everybody the mission that you built or whatever. Right, right. right. You have a lot of like public speaking before you are even trained. And that was the mistake. A lot of us were shoved into that moment without given the step-by-step strategy of how Mm. to be successful in that moment. So if we failed at a very young age, that just doubled our fear and anxiety of going into any of those moments in the future. And a lot of times when I'm working with high level executives that are doing high stakes meetings, asking for millions of dollars, when we dig in, we actually find something that has created that story in their mind that we have to re-record and redo. And so for me, because I went into theater, I started getting that step-by-step strategy of how to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And that was more as a character. It wasn't as myself, (laughs) but it it gave me step-by-step strategy to do something. And then when I got into technology, because what else do you do with a theater degree than go into the tech (laughs) valley? When I got into technology, I was the only one that felt really confident on stage. 
Mm-hmm. And so I started being the spokesperson for every company I was at. And really it was about memorizing whatever the PR agenda was or our model and our mission and all of those things. And because I had those two skills, I became the spokesperson. But throughout that, in my tech career, I really started learning, you know, the language and how to be in front of people really successfully, which is why I think my trajectory went so fast. And then I started helping others do that within the organization because I could see them not speaking up. I had people come up to me going, oh, I wanted to say this in a meeting. It's like, why didn't you? That was brilliant. And the only person that was muting themselves was them. So it's Mm -hmm. a big problem. I think across the board, no matter if it's the medical field or corporate environment. So this is what's interesting to me. And I don't know if you have an easy answer for, answer for this, because I know there's lots of different theories about it. But uh-huh. why? And I know it sounds like a silly question because it's so simple. But why do you think people get so scared about speaking up in public? I mean, we could spread this out to a whole conversation about public performance. But I mean, I really want to focus, I guess, for now on public speaking, what, why is it that that seems to scare people so much, whether it's in a standing up in a corporate meeting and, and saying something, or whether it's having to give a speech or something, what, what is it about the act of public speaking that's so scary? I, I think historically you, if you were seen, it's a very vulnerable position to have everybody in the room staring at you. And, you know, in prehistoric days, I'm sure if you were the person being stared at, you were actually the meal <laughs> Yeah, <all right. laughs> versus the predator. And so I, I really feel like it's part of our DNA, honestly, of not wanting to be seen in that way. And if we make a mistake, there's the spotlight syndrome where we will focus on that mistake for weeks of like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Where in actuality, people are more focused on how you made them feel in that moment versus the tiny mistake that you may or may not have made. And so we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I also think we all want to succeed and do well and be perceived in a good light. And we add that extra pressure to be great. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I did read about the theory. There's this theory that our brains have sort of transferred that ancient fear of being hunted or being a meal uh, into public speaking. That's like, you know, you physiologically, physiologically you register an audience staring at you the same way that like, you know, a, a mountain lion would be that fear, that same fear you get, you know, that same fear is a physical danger. And yeah. you, you you know you also talked about the spotlight effect, and I I think that's a really interesting thing. I also looked into this a little bit, and I read about something called the illusion of transparency, mm. which I think is a really fascinating topic for for public speaking. So the illusion of transparency, from my understanding of it, goes like this: it's the tendency, and you kind of touched on this. It's the tendency for people to overestimate the degree to which their personal mental state is noticed by others. So it's like a feedback loop. Like people go to give a speech, they get nervous, their heart starts to go fast, um, they start to sweat a little bit, their hands shake a little bit, and to them, because their sympathetic system is so kicked up and they're so like, uh, they're so much adrenaline, they notice every little thing to like the next degree and the next level, and they assume everyone else does, which they don't. The truth of it is they don't. People aren't noticing that. Not not in the same way you are, at least. They might notice your breath catches a little bit. They might notice 
you know, you're, you look a little fidgety on stage, but nobody notices the things going on in your body the way you do. But the fact that people start to notice that, then they start to get more nervous about it. And then that's sort of like the cycle to become like, oh my God, everyone knows I'm nervous. Oh my God, that's fucking, that's terrifying. You know, it's a cycle. How, how should people break that cycle if that happens to them? really think honestly i i teach a method called mph which obviously for mph we know it's miles per hour but for me it is to tackle that feeling before you even get on stage i think a lot of people will practice their presentations and practice what they want to say and even how they want to say it but a lot of times they aren't building the habits to crush anxiety before the moment. They're just thinking, if I just make it through the first five or 10 minutes, then I'll ease into it and I'll be fine. But they don't realize if we have anti-anxiety behaviors prior to going into that moment and we practice them and make that habit, then before we even step onto that stage, we're putting those MPH is into place. And MPH for me is mindset, physicality, and then habit. So you have to have a mindset, some sort of mantra, whatever, something that relaxes you or brings you energy, because sometimes we're like, either have too much energy or not enough. It depends on where you go in that state of anxiety. You have to do something physical before you speak to give that energy somewhere to go. And then you have to make it a habit so you don't go into that anxiety before that big moment. What happens is they just leave it like, oh, I'm really anxious. I'm really anxious. I don't know when, how that's going to go away if you don't do something about it. And then you're in that hyper mode. You're so internally in your mind, paying attention to all your own anxiety that you are no longer present for the audience. So of course you feel they see what you're feeling. <laughs> Because you're inside, <laughs> you're seeing it all. So right. clearly they must be seeing it. But in actuality, you're right. That a lot of people will notice a few things. I notice like when people are really nervous um, quite frequently. And most of the time, I'm not thinking anything bad of them at all. I'm just sitting there going, you got this, you got this, you can do this. And just willing them as much as I can in good grace. Which it's also funny too, because we all worry about that. But even people who don't tend to care that much about what other people think can get caught up in that moment. It's like people who are extreme. I mean, again, it comes back to this thing that's interesting to me is that you expect an introvert versus an extrovert to have a certain outlook on this, but it's not necessarily the case. I mean, everyone can get nervous about these things. And it's so funny because people who generally don't care about what other people think can get nervous in these situations too for that same. And, and it's very confusing to me, right? It's a very confusing base instinct that we go back to, to caring. Like if, even if someone noticed you were nervous on stage, like what matters? Why, why is that? Who cares? Like who cares if Joe Schmo notices that you look nervous on stage, right? It actually humanizes you to most people and they just feel you, especially if you think about the amount of people that have fear and then they see you moving through fear that could equally be powerful to somebody. And so we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we just like, let it go, be prepared. Yes. I'm a huge preparer for speaking events, but at some point, just be present, be present, enjoy the moment. If you're nervous. Okay. 
<laughs> so so how does someone do this mph that you're talking about how, how do you recommend somebody like go about that i really feel that you need to make it a habit uh, a daily habit i even for me this weekend you know i was traveling back from speaking at multiple events and i'm also directing a show and i was having anxiety because tonight i'm diving back into rehearsal after a week being gone and i'm and so I, I put it into practice yesterday. I was just like, okay, why am I feeling anxious right now? Let me do something to calm my nerves, which was listen to music that is really relaxing. And then I went outside and did yard work. So I got something physical uh, to do. And then I just felt better. And if you do t- at least those two things, I think a lot of physical anxiety can, you know, those nerves can just stir up in you mm-hmm. without an exit. Yeah. And you got to give it an exit plan, but you you also have to do something that physically that you can do anywhere. I, I had a client that said, Misty, I finally figured out what my physical thing's going to be. I said, oh, great. What is it? She said, swimming. And I was like, okay, so before ever big presentation, <laughs> you ask for a million dollars, you're adding the anxiety of trying to find a swimming pool <laughs> and then get ready for your presentation. I was like, yeah. let's think about maybe jumping jacks. Um so but it, has to, it has to be reasonable. It has to be something you could actually do. It's not like I need to go skydiving before every like presentation. No, I, I get it. I, I get it. I mean, I, I think it's so, I think the topic is really interesting to me because like when I think about these things that make us nervous, like public speaking or, you know, mm-hmm. um, in my case also like playing music or, or any other sort of form of public uh, presentation or, public facing art like there's always this there's like a claustrophobia that happens when you're nervous and anxious all you see is like right in front of you you see the microphone you're so like stressed out you bring yourself in in you're not experiencing what's happening around you i'm not like the most mindful dude i'm not like not the guy i'm not that's not me but at the same time I, i do recognize that if you're like open your mind's open you're like you're you're not stressed out about it. you're not anxious about it you're more open to the experience that's happening around you and you enjoy it so much more and then it becomes things start to slow down in a way you know what i mean like like a really good basketball player you can tell the game goes slower for them they're not as nervous out there they're like things slow down same with musicians when they're on stage and uh, and performers of any kind like when you can get to that zone or flow state or whatever it's called, you can, things seem to slow down for you and become easier for you. And podcasting is a similar thing. I'm obviously not there, but like, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that like, it's, I want more people to feel more comfortable doing these public things because they're going to get so much more joy out of it when they can. To your point for like bringing in musicians and athletes, they are absolutely people that apply MPH. To me, like if you look at Steph Curry and almost any athlete, they have a pregame ritual to get them into the zone. Like he has a playlist that he creates every year for that year that he listens to on the way to the court. And then once he gets there, he goes and shoots from every spot on the court. Now, does he really need more <laughs> like drills in his life? No, but it's to him, it's getting out that physical 
energy that is pent up before he goes in the game so he can just be present in that moment. And the H is creating the habit out of it. The thing is, is if you try that MPH on the day of for the first time, you haven't created a habit for your mind to go, oh, wait, right. this is new. Why, why am I doing this? Should I be nervous? This is a new experience. What's happening? And so you have to make it a habit that you go to every time. So your body just goes, yeah, this is what we do before these big moments. It's no big deal. We got yeah. this. Yeah. What What do you think about uh, meditation for that? I I am a big believer in med- meditation. I am not always a good practitioner of it. I we I just went to this conference and at it they had a sound bath. Have you ever experienced one of those? No. What? <laughs> no. It's a room and you close your eyes and you meditate while they play all of these beautiful instruments around you, like the rain stick and chimes and all like the sound oh. bowls. And it just like really a that lot of sound. That would be a hard on me. I would, I, I don't think I could do that and not laugh. I mean, that's, that's too much. It, like, was, it was hard. It wasn't till it wasn't a laughing moment for me, but it was a, I really wanted to open my eyes and see what, like, oh, where's that sound coming from? What instrument is that? <laughs> right. so I was just like, the curious mind would not stop. And also for me, just especially I was, because I was speaking, I just had a lot of things going on in my mind of like, oh, don't forget this. Don't forget this. So right. it was hard for me to unplug. But I know people that are practitioners that do it a lot. Um, the yeah. value of it is so beneficial. And there's so much science that we see about it like lowering the heart rate and just really calming your yeah. nerves that i think it's absolutely beneficial for those that have developed that skill set or want to well along those lines of meditation to me it's very closely related or linked to breathing exercises so are um, there are there breathing exercises you recommend people do before or even during a presentation should they need to yes i I don't suggest during presentations. (laughs) I mean, yes, you should be breathing during your presentation, but maybe not do the exercise during the presentation. Unless, unless, which I have done. Can I just tell you, I have done a breathing exercise in a presentation because I was nervous. And I was like, let's all take a moment to just check in. And I was like, let's do this breathing exercise together. I just made it part of my presentation. That's super smart. If you're like nervous in a presentation and you're like, hey, everyone, I want everyone to do this with me and you're doing it for yourself really, but everyone's like, Oh wow. How cool. We're like doing an interactive, like and feels good afterwards. It's fucking brilliant. So feel free to steal that. Anyone. Uh, yes. But the, the easiest breathing exercise that I have found, cause it's so easy to remember is square breathing. And really you're just kind of mentally drawing a square and you're breathing in for the same count as you're holding you're breathing out for that same count and then holding. So you're visually creating that square. So you say you breathe in for four and hold for four, and then you breathe out for four and hold for four, and then you breathe in for four. And the reason why I feel that works really well for most of us is that it gives our mind something to do. So it's counting and it's no longer focused on the anxiety or something. We're keeping it busy. And then we're also just really slowing our breath and focusing on just getting a deep enough breath to really calm our inner. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. One that I I saw 
um, that I use sometimes. And I saw that athletes do this sometimes when they go like the free throw line is a similar version of that. It's called, I've heard it have different names. Cyclical breathing was one I heard where you breathe in through the nose for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and then out through the mouth for six seconds. So actually listeners do this with me right now. Let's just do this right now. So this will be your little break in your day. Let's do it together. Okay. So breathe in through the nose for four seconds, two, three, four, hold two, three, four. Now breathe out through the mouth, two, three, four, five, six. That to me is a pretty easy one to do that, that people aren't even noticing because it's kind of like quick and that feels good. Like a, a way to reset things a little bit. I agree. And you can do this for any numbers, to be honest. Like I've heard cyclical breathing in four, six, and eight. Totally. Fine. Whatever you want, people. <laughs> Make up your rules. <laughs> Speaking of resetting, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break and we're going to reset here with uh, drinks and then we'll be right back. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Oh, my goodness. We're back. Those were fantastic ads. Really, the one about the uh, thing for the penis, that was good. The... um. The one for the uh, the lotto, that one was even better. And uh, the mattress one, spot on, whatever it is, spot on. I was to say, I'm going to get it all, and then you started with the penis one. So I was like, maybe I'll wait until see what it's <laughs> No, a lot, lot, lot of dick pills. A lot of dick pills, Misty. It's a, <laughs> they really hit the podcast community hard, those dick pills. Oh, <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of dick pills and mattresses and... And lotto for some reason. I don't know. By the way, I don't know any of the, I have no approval. I, I don't know who the ads are. So pay no attention to any of them, obviously. <laughs> if you skipped ahead and are now just coming in, well done. Okay. Uh, so so let's get back to, to uh, fear of public speaking. Let's talk about things we can do to help people um, overcome public speaking fears. You talked about MPH, you talked about that mindfulness, the physicality to help you that making that routine. Um, what else do you recommend for people? I know it's probably case by case and the way you do it with like your clients, but what are other things you recommend for people when they come to you and they tell you that they have a fear of public speaking and yet they have to do it for their job or their career or whatever? Yeah, which most of us, you know, in professional careers, we do. Uh, to me, I, I honestly think getting them the skill set and the check by checklist to be successful 
is really important. I think a lot of us just are prepping uh, like we did in high school or college or wherever we were having to present at some mode. We maybe took one speech and debate class. <laughs> we're just right. like, hey, and now it's like, okay, now you need to go to the board of investors, which this has happened to a client and get $85 million. It's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's a little bit more serious, right? A little different. <laughs> yeah. And so to me, it really is about getting the skill sets. And there are a lot of different skill sets when it comes to you, like pacing and delivering and pausing and really creating a piece that is going to be engaging for whatever audience you are diving into. They say 87% of your communication is nonverbal. And so a lot of times we're working on our script to the core and we're just like, oh, we're going to tell them about this data piece and this data piece and we're going to work on this. And it's just like, great. But <laughs> they're looking at your body language. They're looking at your visuals. They're looking at all of these other things to clue them in on how, how they should feel about this. What should they be taking away from this piece? And I think we don't focus enough on all of the nonverbal skill sets that we need to have. So talk about those a little bit, these nonverbal skill sets, like people slouching, people like um, looking down. What, what are the nonverbal cues that people might be giving off that they don't want to? Yeah, weight shifting is a big one for me when I watch people to see whether they're nervous or not. And that just means they're shifting their weight from foot to foot, kind of like a boxer, uh, a boxer has a more structured upper stance. So he doesn't look nervous when he's doing it, but most speakers who are shifting their weight a lot, you can tell that they're pretty nervous or uncomfortable about what they're saying. They've also done a lot of research on Ted talks and they have found that anybody that puts their hands in their pockets to an audience feels like they are hiding something. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at your body language and whether you feel or being perceived as confident, usually it has to be with taking up more space in your environment and that making eye contact, depending on obviously where you're located in the world, some eye contact in certain areas is like confrontational. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you definitely want to be aware of like where you live and where you're located. But the body language, sure, like posture is really great to pay attention to. Uh, touching of the face, anything like that can be perceived as feeling confident or uncomfortable. And so you just really have to be hyper aware uh, in your rehearsal phase of what your what your body is doing. When I studied Shakespeare, majority, it's such a heightened language. And I feel it's probably very similar to the medical profession and to a lot of the county professionals that I work with you all have such a heightened language that a lot of people that are not in that field can feel overwhelmed. So they are really looking at your body language to interpret what you were saying. And so if your body language is in alignment with what you're saying and how they should feel, then they're going to get more out of that than any technical language that you're saying that could be going over their head that they are too embarrassed to ask about. So this is an interesting, I guess, dichotomy 
to work through, though, because on one hand, I think both of us have been saying, well, there are don't focus on perfection. Don't worry about all these little things that you are noticing in yourself. Other people aren't noticing them, not to the degree you are. But you're also saying be focused on these physical mannerisms, which is it would seem contradictory to that. Do you do you say that this is all stuff to address in practice when you're preparing uh, so that when you're on the stage, these aren't the thoughts that you have to have in your head? Absolutely, got it. Absolutely. And to me, that rehearsal process, a lot of us are practicing the verbal only and we're not practicing the physicality of it enough. And to me, if you have rehearsed, then those are things that you don't have to think about on stage anymore. You don't have to think about in that moment because you have practiced them. You've practiced what your hand gestures are going to do. You've practiced your like physical presence. And then when that anxiety comes in, that's what people really aren't going to pay that much attention to because they can tell that's from anxiousness. Most of us can see that. Right. But if you're telling somebody like new data, a new data point that you came up or that you've discovered that you like a research team has come in. How are we supposed to interpret that? If we feel through that anxiety, what is it that you're wanting us to know? Is this good information for us? Is this something we should act on? Is it not something we should act on? Should we get excited about it? And they say your excitement level, when you present your normal excitement level for presenting, you should be 10 to 20% higher. (laughs) Yeah. Than what you do normally just to like really help people get excited about whatever piece that you're like, hey, you guys are all get on board, right? It's amazing. That that is an important part of public speaking too, is that like you should feel a little bit of nervous energy. If you don't, like it's really boring for the, the listener. Like that nervousness you have is actually a gift in a way, like it helps you to be a better presenter. I remember I had a, uh, there was a professor I had in medical school who was, I mean, she knew what she was doing. She was, I'm sure, brilliant. And she was a world-leading expert whenever she was doing, but I actually don't even remember what the topic was. But what I do remember was that at one point in her own presentation, it was so boring that she herself yawned. And I had never seen that happen before. (laughs) Where someone was presenting themselves and they're like, Oh my god, this is so boring. Oh my god. And they just like yawned. And I'm like, that that should not happen. Like you shouldn't be giving a presentation and it's so boring that you yawn. It, it if you're like a little nervous about it, that's actually kind of a better thing because that, that means you have energy about it, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And a lot of times when I'm talking to people, you need to have that little bit of that nervous energy because it actually helps you hyper focus in the moment. You're, if you don't have that nervous energy, and I've been on stage where, as an actress, where I didn't have that nervous energy anymore, and you are so checked out, you're phoning it in. And that's yeah. when I transitioned from being an actress to, you know, going into directing in my theater career. Yeah. To me, that, that nervous energy keeps you on that edge and keeps you engaged with the audience. It keeps like it, you're just pushing yourself to do better. Yeah. And I still do that. If I am not nervous before a presentation, that's not a good thing for me. I, I feel it 
I'm not challenging myself enough. And I have rewritten presentations like a week before, just because I was like, I'm not nervous to give this anymore, which means it's not going to be great. So maybe I need to up, up my game here. Yeah, it's interesting. I also think it actually physiologically, like that flush you get of nervous energy where your cheeks get red. I think that probably makes people look better on stage. It probably is like the same way like people wear makeup and stuff before they go into theater, like having a little bit of flush and having that. I think it's probably a good thing for people. It probably makes them look better on stage. But that I don't know if there's any truth to that. That's my thought. But we'll go for yes. You having some color on your on your cheeks would be great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, I can blush. People don't realize it, but I can <laughs> blush. Um, do, do you find that the people that uh, are the most nervous or the people that you have to really work with, do you find them engaging in negative self-talk? Yeah. It, yes. <laughs> I don't know. To me, though, honestly, there's a lot of trauma for those that are have really intense anxiety that I've had the opportunity to work with. Javi, can I just tell you, I am shocked at the amount of teachers out there in the world in grade school that have taped people's mouths shut. Wow. I am too, actually. I didn't know that was a thing. That, that happens? I did not know it was a thing. And the first person I heard it from was... uh and I want to say maybe Japan. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And then I now have had at least 10 plus tell me the same story that they were too talkative in grade school and their teacher taped their mouth in front of the class to help them be quiet. And so a lot of times if it's really hyper anxiety, I feel like there's probably a bigger story behind this anxiety other than that pressure of the spotlight syndrome or transparency or anything like that. And it really is amazing. I mean, I've had people all of a sudden have a breakthrough and tell me about trauma in their childhood of being beaten when they were like spoke up too many times or something. It's really intense. And so, so much so that I went and got a counseling certificate because I was like, I just don't want to say anything wrong. Um, but I really feel that when they come with high anxiety, there's, there's something more there than just training them on the strategies. And so we, we talk about it a lot and, and figure out where it's coming from through a variety of questions that aren't like, tell me all your traumas, but just working to uncover. Yeah. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. I can see a lot of intrusive thoughts in the situation like that in particular, you know, if something like that happened to you, that is, that's, I mean, I like to believe that stuff doesn't happen anymore, but I'm sure it does. But like, um, I, I do think that the older generation uh, experienced things in school that would probably blow the minds of younger generations these days. Like I remember kids, I am, I was at the age where I was like, when I was a really young kid, I was in a weird public school. I'm sorry, a weird private school at one point when I was really young. This is how weird it was. It was like a private school that was in a skating rink. How 80s is that? Like this is the most 80s thing you could fucking imagine was it was a giant skating rink 
that also was a private school. It's insane to even say it out loud now. I understand how weird that sounds. I swear (laughs) to God, I was not homeschooled. And I swear to God, I'm not imagining this. For like a year or two, when I was really young, I we went to the school and it was like it was insane. It was like because like when there wasn't like skating, like our recesses were like skating in in the skating rink. It's like the it's insane now that I think of it. But it was just at the end of that like weird corporal punishment sort of like thing where kids were getting their hands like smacked with rulers and or like uh made to do really weird awful things like wear a, a weird dunce cap or something like that some some variation of that you know um stuff that like it's funny i haven't even thought about in years until like right this moment that i i i think probably are very traumatic do you find that there are generational differences in the way people fear public speaking or public presentation of any sort? You know, I, I, I was just talking to my team about this today and wondering, cause we were looking at some Stanford research recently where they uh, researched over a hundred thousand presentations and, and we were looking through the data and that's exactly what I asked. I was like, I would like to see the micro data on this of like, Hey, let's break it up into like, is there a difference between how people identify male, female, other, is there a difference between age ranges? Because I have found in my work, when I go in and train entire teams on communication strategies for, from the youngest to the C-level suite, it's all across the board, like some form of anxiety somewhere, or even if they're not anxious, it's not until this high stakes meeting for a C-level executive of like, oh my God, yeah, I'm anxious about that. So it just is like, which piece is considered high stakes for you where it does cause that anxiety. But I haven't found any different. I mean, my young kids, I, I say kids, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but our 20 our somethings, <laughs> They, they come in and they have a really high level because majority of their life has been with tech and not with human in our engagement. It's like all engaging with tech for each other. But then my C-level suite, which is, you know, tends to be 40 plus, um, they have anxiety just because of, you know, what they're trying to achieve. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, going back to something you brought up earlier, seven-year-old Misty giving her presentation on the mission system and and failing and, and being miserably heartbroken until, you know, high school Misty developed from like a phoenix from the ashes. Um, you're like, that, that was dramatic for you, right? Um, what how should parents or teachers instill this in kids what kind of preparation should kids get before they start learning to present yeah i'd say any like if we can build public speaking into schools and require that then we need to at least train them on some of the how to's and you know how to write us we teach them how to write a story let's teach them how to read it out loud or and start giving them those slow skill sets of here's how you pace it when it's when you're talking about something really exciting then you're going to want to speed up your pace 
when you say something really dramatic, you might want to pause after that to let everybody think about it and just give them those small skill sets, even as they're reading in English class. Um, but if we can build that at a really early age, then hopefully we can start curbing this so they don't become adults that are in conference rooms or being asked to present that are just sweating it and yeah. that for weeks at a time before they present just spiraling. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there a line you draw between being like, Hey, don't worry about it at all. Or like being a weird helicopter parent that is like, I'm going to go over every goddamn step of this process <laughs> with you, like a stage parent, you know, what, where is the line for that for, for parents? I'm just asking for parents just That's asking it. for a friend not, not that i would do that i mean well, come on my crazy look at me am i feel crazy no what of course i think there's a, a balance in everything right i i think as we help kids out like my nephew had massive anxiety going in and he's like eight at the time so my age of failure um going into zoom classes and right. speaking on camera, because this is a whole new environment for the kids when COVID hit, right? Of having to see what they look like themselves on camera and a next level of judgment. And so for him, I said, you know, hey, Cole, like, here's how to sit. Like, let's sit with your feet, like a little bit far apart. Let's breathe and just, you're going to be okay. And so I just gave him like little tips on just how to sit with confidence and then the next time he and I chatted it was like okay now we're just going to speak with confidence and here's what that sounds like now he's 13 and he you'll love this he's a lead in a band and mm. <laughs> playing music like crazy and his band got to do a concert at school and Whoa. girls at the front of the stage screaming his name and so he's come a long way, but it was just like easing them into finding the what confidence looks like so they can mirror it at that age. Right, right, right. So it becomes a habit for them that it's like, oh, I do feel confident. And now he's very confident, almost a little too much, but it's all right. I like it. <laughs> it's a little fake it to me. It's, it's fun. That is interesting to me. I was wondering that too. I was wondering, I was talking to my, my nephew and I was like, gosh, should I? should I tell him to be in a band because he's interested in music? I'm like, because I, I will, I'm not going to lie. That was something that helped me meet women when I was younger. I'm like, does that still work? And, and I guess it does, but only because, I mean, things are different now. You could be a nerd the way that I was not allowed to be a nerd growing up. Being a nerd is like kind of considered cool now, which at least we're going to say that for our sake. Right, right. But <laughs> when we were young, it was not, that cool to be a nerd but being in a band was kind of cool but I, and i so i don't know if that still holds because i, I mean I, I just don't know the the scene that well but i will say that like i think the the thing behind it what why it was attractive to people was because not because the music was good it wasn't but like <laughs> but, but like you're on stage and you're like confident in what you're doing you're in like a mindful state you're in a you're in a place where you're enjoying what you're doing with no ego it was one of the few times in my life when i wasn't thinking about like 
oh god how, how does this how do i look right now am i nervous what did i leave the stove on what do i have to do tomorrow like you're in that moment and you're just doing that one thing and you're totally happy and content in that one place i do think that is the kind of thing that is attractive to to people in general um so i i do think that still holds whether or not i mean being in a band is considered cool anymore i don't know i mean i, I feel like at some point that's got to become kind of cheesy um but yeah. <laughs> yeah, God bless him. Good for him. Good for him. Strong like, on you, young I, man. Can I ask you a question on that? Just to like tie it to, you know, the experience for you playing music. How often did you rehearse the songs that you were playing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we rehearsed um, when we were first playing. We rehearsed a ton. I mean, I don't know how how we compared to other bands. Cause we were all like doing things. We were all like pre-med and like, or pre-tech or whatever. So the band was like, um, the band was filled with people working like full-time jobs and, and, or working hard in school. So um, we, we had limited time, but I felt like we practiced pretty hard and, and to, to get back to, I think the, the point of this topic, which is that really helped. Like the only times I felt really nervous on stage where when I was like, oh shit, we did not prepare for the show. I am, I did not learn all the 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 parts for this. This is going to be rough. Those are the part. Those are the shows that were not as much fun. Obviously, still could be fun. And because it, actually, to some degree, you know, when we were when I watch shows now, something I really enjoy and I look for is there's moments where even professionals will fuck up, and you see them, you see them smile about it. Like yeah. they'll kind of like smile to each other and they're kind of like, and it's like almost like those little moments that they enjoy because they've worked so hard and they, they prepared. I mean, even the, even the, the bands that try to come off as, as slackers that don't do that. And they're just like too rock and roll to fucking, they're, they're <laughs> hardcore. They're studying, they're practicing. They are trying to get their per- parts down perfectly, no matter how nonchalant they want to look about it. And so <laughs> when they fuck up, I like that you don't see them get angry about it and like get in their head and then, you know, worry about it for the rest of the show. Like that's it. They're happy about it. You know, it's almost like you mess up in a bit and you're like, all right, I got that out of the way. That was kind of how I felt too. Like I knew going into every show, I was like, okay, I am definitely going to fuck up (laughs) one of my solos or (laughs) some vocal part I have. And, And to me, like as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, good. I feel good. I got that out of the way. Feels like that 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 feels good. I got that out of the way. You know? So um yeah, it's it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing about playing music and, and public speaking. And, and there's a lot of overlap between it. And and people would be surprised to know I'm nervous about both, you know, as much as I enjoy both. I'm I get nervous about them. Why do you feel you're nervous about public speaking? Well, it's a really good question because I guess part of it is you get out of practice of doing it. And then like if you're doing it every day in those situations when I was doing it every day, it's it's hard to become that nervous about it. At some point there is fatigue. There's like nervous fatigue. You're just like, good, you just deal with it. But then, <laughs> yeah. but then like you, you there, you know, there's still times when if I have to give a presentation or if I have to speak that like. I will get nervous and um, you can get in your own head about it. I can get in my own head about it and like, and put unnecessary expectations on myself. 
or I can create a narrative for myself that's not really healthy or useful or or, or intrusive thoughts can happen. You know, I think that can happen to, to, to people. So and that happens to me for sure. So um, that's probably where it's at for, for me in that situation. Um, and it's something I, I, I have been trying to work on, too. When you think about those intrusive thoughts, uh, is it? Uh, are you thinking about the negative things that could happen, or is it just? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Are you also equally thinking about the opposite side of all the great things that could happen, or are you just almost never? <laughs> I, I never. I how how can I? Right. And so that is a, an exercise behavior to do for those that are spiraling in the negative spiral to be able to unwind it because the negative side and the positive side could equally, either one could happen. So why aren't we focusing on <laughs> both of them equally? It was like, okay, yeah, this, all this negative. And sometimes it's physically writing it down will help us mentally let it go of like, here's all the things that I'm worried about right now. And then, okay, here's what could rightfully happen also that is great. But for me, one of the practices I do, I, if I start feeling anxious and I start going into spiral mode, I start thinking, okay, let me write down what I'm anxious at about. And then I start making a step-by-step -step plan to overcome that. So, okay, why am I anxious really? I, I don't feel I'm going to be good enough. Okay, why don't I feel I'm going to be good enough? I'm not prepared. Great. That's an action item for me. I can prepare more. I don't feel I have enough data that's going to be really interesting. Great. I will find more data. And so you almost make your anxiety that checklist of go do. So then your body doesn't have that reason to go into that anxiety anymore. And really... A lot of times when we're speaking, we don't need the whole audience to take action on what we're doing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good exercise to do. I, I actually, um, it makes perfect sense too. Of course, it's the kind of thing, I, just like you mentioned before, it's the kind of thing you have to practice so you can do it in a situation where it's difficult. Um, it's something I... It's something we should always practice, which is like, well, what is the upside? What is the potential upside to this? <laughs> If we're going to spend this long on the downside, let's also spend that much time on the upside. <laughs> exactly. Okay, let's let's do some listener questions. I have a couple here that I'd like to do. And they, they touch on some stuff that we may have mentioned, but I think they're okay. worth, they're worth um, bringing home again. So the first one is from Dhruv Bhagavan at D-R-U-V-B-H-A-G-A-V-A-N. One, how do you read an audience? I often find it difficult to gauge how I'm being received. And I've been shocked how many times to find out that a presentation went much better than I thought it had. And he's the king of multi-part questions, just so you know. Two, content aside, how do you deal with being a self being self-conscious about your appearance? First of all, Drew, you're a beautiful young man, I think. I'm pretty sure. I only know you from online, but I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think you're beautiful, buddy. But those are two good questions. Misty, how do you um, address those? The first question being that how how does he read the room, whether he's he's doing, doing well, well or not? Yeah, yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. I, seriously, we cannot project uh, 
anything onto an audience of like, oh, they laughed at this joke, so they think I'm funny. It, do your best prep and go for it. But if we sit there, like somebody could be crossing their arms because they're cold, not because they're like angry at what they're listening to. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to a bunch of tax professionals who are some of the most quiet audience members I've ever experienced. It's unnerving. It's unnerving. I know. I recognize that. Yeah. And so I do find myself when I'm in a space where the, the audience is very like quiet, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to amp it up a little bit. Sorry. Um, but I also have found that those audiences are listening. Like I walked around during an exercise and I saw them all, they all had pages and pages of notes, like quoting me. And so it was like, all right, clearly they're, <laughs> they're wanting yeah. to take notes on what I'm saying. So I think like, it's not up for us to judge whether the audience is having a, a good enough time, just be your best and, and put it out there. Yeah. What about the second part, which is the, how do you uh, deal with being self-conscious about your appearance? Not that you would, Misty, but say someone someone else. Uh, please, you're speaking to somebody that was teased for most of her life because she had hand-me-down clothes. And it is definitely something that was really hard for me for years to navigate not coming from money and uh, not feeling like enough. And so I do, I do get that that can be a blocker for some. It just also depends on your, that does depend on your audience. And I know some audiences uh, we've had where somebody comes in ripped jeans, they're like, oh, he wasn't professional enough for us. And they were really harsh on people. So, you know, dress in a way that you feel confident that brings you energy and joy and just kind of up level it from your day to day. And we all know that like when we get dressed up just a little bit, we kind of have a, a different air about ourselves. So figure out what you can do that just makes you go, yeah, I feel like a badass. And it also vibes with the audience I'm speaking to, if there are professionals or if they're bands. Yeah. Might want to go for those root jeans then. Also, and also I would add, uh, they, if anyone has any issues with appearance, they can absolutely go fuck themselves. So like, that's, that is the other thing I would add to that. Um, I mean, I'll, I can say those words. You can't because you're like professional. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. The, I, I agree. And just, like, we need to see a variety of humans out there. Beauty is all shapes and sizes, yeah. all different looks and feels. So like, whatever to that right yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> i i mean dress however makes you feel sexy drew that's what i say but yes. like that's what well, we say that's we agree on that and and again uh if anyone has a question about that they can screw themselves anyways all right here is another one from inspira expira at blue sky dot social yes how do you stop your brain from shutting down in panic and what is the ideal number of exits a venue should have to facilitate the speediest departure possible okay the second part is clearly a joke but the first part is is a good thing to bring up like so you've done your preparation you prepared for the speech you prepared your mannerisms you kind of looked over that sort of stuff you've even done your mph 
Yes. But now you're in the middle of a talk and your mind goes blank or you start to spiral. What do you do? Look for that exit. <laughs> Jump out a window. What What do you do? What do you do if you just go into massive panic mode and you shut down? So yeah. basically the fight, flight, or freeze mode has happened and you're in freeze is what I'm hearing. <laughs> right, right. Get freeze to unfreeze. I, I don't know if this person has slides or if they have notes of any sort. There are plenty of ways to like solve for that. For me, anytime I'm doing a presentation, I have everything that I want to say has been scripted out, but on, I use my visuals like crazy. Mm -hmm. And so if, for instance, I was talking about prosperity, intentional prosperity this last week, and I talked about the stars aligning around what you envision for success. So that picture was an eye like this beautiful woman's eye with, and she had all of these stars on her face. So I knew when I got to that, my phrase <laughs> was the stars aligning around your vision. Mm -hmm. So I physically use pictures. I sometimes have texts on my slides, not a lot. Yeah. Things that will help stimulate my brain in a variety of different ways. So I don't have to lean on my absolute like memorization of a script mm -hmm. and I can be a little bit more free flow. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at all of the visuals that you have at your fingertips. Like, can you bring notes onto the stage? It's okay. We are so used to seeing politicians and all these other humans like reference notes. Like if you need that, go for it. It's fine. Yeah. I, I saw Malcolm Gladwell, his whole presentation, he had like, five or six pages that he would like, okay, I'm done with that page. And he went to the next page. This is Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> like, yeah. He's not a nobody. And so give yourself the tools that you need on that stage to have that brain go, uh, what was I going to say? And feel free to ask, like, my mind just went out the window. Let me just look at this really quick. All right. I'm back with y'all. Like, yeah. Yeah. Self-deprecating humor can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah i'm a big fan i'm a big fan all right here, here's a here's a question from eugenia mancini horan at, huh? at pickled kenny <laughs> so uh, and i got some a lot of variations of this question which is the rise of just prescribing beta blockers as endorsed by the kardashians doctor for all anxious situations um, that's somewhat serious. I am a person with extreme anxiety. I'll soon have to speak about my case for medical conferences, etc. And it is, it's just wham, bam, panic, ma'am. <laughs> is beta blocker dabbing safe or harmful? I mean, they're selling them on Facebook and Instagram ads now. So it's a thing now, obviously, unless something significant has changed since I last spoke to you, you're not a medical professional. I'm not getting medical advice. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not going to give medical advice. Um, I'm going to talk about beta blockers for a little bit here. But before I do that, um, do you? I'm assuming you have lots of clients who use beta blockers, right? Actually, no, not really. Like I, I maybe have one CEO who uh, he uses them, but outside of that, 
No. And a lot of my medical professionals that I work with don't either. I, I, I'd be interested to hear what you say about it. Cause I, I have heard for, um, for some people that have massive anxiety that it works for them. And, but like I said, I'm not a medical professional and will not give advice on medicine. I can give you strategies. First of all, can I just say, is it Eugenia? Yeah. Her, even her question is funny. Like lean into that sense of humor, my friend. <laughs> like even your question has great wit and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. But for you being a medical professional, what do you feel about beta blockers? And also I'd be interested, like, does it dampen the rest of your senses so much that you level out a little too much on stage? I don't know. It's a really good question. I actually, I remember before I had to give a grand rounds, uh, an attend. I was nervous because grand yeah. rounds are kind of a big deal. Like where I trained every resident had to give at one point, study something and then had to present to basically the whole community of doctors, not just the hospital, but other people from the community would come in and they would want, you were supposed to be an expert in this thing. And that I was, man, I was nervous and I had a lot of public speaking, you know, experience at that point, but I was, I was pretty nervous. And so they had like, they, they, a doctor who I, I looked up to was like, well, you know, if you get nervous, here's an option. You can use these beta blockers. And I, I had the prescription in case I needed it. I didn't want to use it. Um, I still have it, like the you know, the bottle he gave me. Away <laughs> at this point, but like, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but but I do think it's a viable option for some. Let, let's talk a little bit about what what beta blockers are for our listeners who don't know. The beta blocker in particular that most people use for this situation is something called propanolol. It's a non-cardioselective beta blocker. It's used for lots of things. Initially, it was used for angina or chest pain, um, for hypertension now. And it's been used for anxiety, uh, different components of anxiety as well over this time. Glossophobia or fear of speaking is one of them. So it, it can block these adrenergic receptors in the body and it can affect like your blood pressure and your heart rate slows your heart rate down in particular is, is what I'm talking about here. Um, but it also has this weak indirect alpha one uh, receptor agonist action. And because of that, it's it's also, it can cross the blood brain barrier. And we think that it can have an effect on anxiety as well. It's not mm -hmm. clear to me, at least, and I'm not a specialist in this by any means, but it's not clear to me whether the effect it has on anxiety is due to a direct effect on the brain because it can cross the blood brain barrier. Or if what it does is slows your heart rate down a little bit, and your body then reads that as like, oh, I'm getting calmer. Because there is like this cycle. Like if your heart is going really fast, then you're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm, I'm panicking, you know? But if your heart's going slower, there is this like, okay, well, I'm, and that's part of the breathing thing too, is to slow that down. Like yeah. the thought is in your, okay, I'm, are you a little more calm? So um, it as medicines go for most people, it's fairly safe um there are anything that messes with you know your your heart rate is something you need to talk to your doctor about i don't like people getting this over the counter or just getting it off facebook or instagram but i do know plenty of people that have used it and used it safely i think you should discuss it with your doctor and i think for most cases it's probably a pretty reasonable option 40 milligrams of propanolol um whether or not 
it's the best approach. I don't know. For me, I had it just knowing I had it there as like a break in case of emergency thing was like all I needed. That gave me like, I was like, fine. And then I worked on the other things, prepared a ton for it and ended up not needing it. But knowing that it was an option helped me. So I think it's a reasonable thing to do. Uh, and I think it can work. I definitely think you need to talk to your doctor about it. I'm not comfortable with it being done over like Facebook. Watch, it's going to be an ad for my show. <laughs> it's going to be like, <laughs> and it is, I should say, off-label use also. So I, I think it's I, I think it's a, it's a reasonable option. I don't know if it should be the first option because I think there are, as you sort of gotten to in this, there are things in there's there's deeper things to fear of speaking that might need to be addressed you know is there some sort of trauma is there some sort of inability to tune out intrusive thoughts is there some fear or something that you could maybe work on which would be good to work on you know um so i don't think it would be my first option but i am i certainly think it's a, it's a viable one for a lot of people and i i I think is your doctor's okay with doing it. I I think it's a perfectly fine thing to do. I I agree. And I also think having that, like, do you know how to build out a presentation step-by-step? Do you know, like the engagement styles and strategies to get everybody in the audience going, oh, I think they're talking to me. So I think there's a lot of other strategies that you can implement. And if you are still having that extreme anxiety after you are going, oh, here's everything that I know to do. Here's how I create a really engaging opener. Here's how I like pull them from that opener to my first piece of research and tell the story about why this is important, why they should believe, what is interesting about it, what we still have questions about. So I feel like there's a lot of other pieces And sometimes when we're working, especially when I'm working with really high data-driven humans, uh, they forget some of the key strategies to like get the audience leaning in and they lecture versus actually bring the audience along the journey with them. And so I think that if we can get them to have some of those skill sets then maybe we can solve that without and like caffeine on the day of if we can lighten our ca- caffeine intake and maybe right. green tea it doesn't cause as much of the like <gasps> as yeah. uh, coffee does and so you can also look at what you're consuming the day of or even a couple of days right. prior that yeah. will help you out too physically so the coffee is a real tough one because you got to find the right balance <laughs> and yeah. your your inclination is going to be to drink too much your inclination the day of is to drink too much. You'd be like, I got to be sharper. I got to be sharper. And the more coffee you have, the more of a problem it's going to be. Um, have, like green tea is like gives you that focus without a lot of the jitters that caffeine does. So, um, one last question for you. Sure. Uh, I find this is interesting when I looked it up before this episode. Like, you know, is there a way to leverage, you know, technology, um, to 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 combat fear of speaking or public presentations. So people are using virtual reality now in this situation. Have you encountered this yet? Do you think there's any space for it? I've been in tech, the tech world for years now, and I love tech. And so I, as soon as VR started happening, 
I was like, I want to build like a keynote stage where people can virtually do their keynote. We can invite like actual humans in the VR world to come and watch, <laughs> make right. it feedback because you still have to do a lot of the physicality for it. So yeah. I think there absolutely is a space that becomes this like rehearsal space or something that really can engage people. I don't think VR has taken off as much as I would like to in order to create a space like that. Yeah. But uh yeah, why not? There's so much tech to leverage. The only thing that I'm like not a big fan of is people using like chat GPT or something like that to write their outline or their initial ideas for their speech. Cause I'm like, that's not your ideas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Being yeah. from online and like let's not do that. But AI for you know developing your slides and doing a lot of other things. Yeah. Let's leverage some of those things that are doing really great work and take the lift off of you in order for you to be present and be there. But VR may be a great space for people that want to get the experience that don't have stages to go on before they go and take a stage. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Person. And so I, I love that kind of stuff. I super nerdy. Yeah, no, I think that's I think it's really interesting too. I'm curious to see where that goes. Okay, well, thank you. This has been so helpful, super fun. One, just catch up with you, my old friend Misty, and then two, to to hear all these great tips and and tricks that people can use going forward. Let's do some significant plugging here. Tell me uh, where people can find you. Tell me how people can learn more about you, or if they actually need to work with you, where they can where they can do that. My, I'm everywhere on theater public speaking. So if they look at that, uh, or Misty Mejia, I'm not too hard to find. So mistymejia.com. I have obviously the theater public speaking is the company that I started after I left the tech environment a few years ago, right when COVID hit awesomeness. Great time. And <laughs> it actually has been quite wonderful, but I, I really, if, if you are one of those wonderful humans that wrote in, I would be happy for the people that wrote in questions to give them a nice 30 minutes of my time and just thank them for writing in and be happy to help them. I am so on a mission of just helping people get the strategy that will work for them so they don't have to suffer through the anxiety and can be fully present. So That's fantastic. And that is... M-E-G-I-A. Got it. Correct. Mejia. Sorry, I mispronounced it in the beginning. I apologize for that. Oh. Um, I knew you as Misty Shaktel. So it's it's and now. now you're Misty, like, wait a second, this is a new name. <laughs> Misty Shaktel Mejia. Or Misty. And you say Mejia. that one brilliantly, by the way. Normally people slaughter the Shaktel. Trust me, it um, took me some oh. time. It took me some time to do some <laughs> practice again. Practice before you present. Um, okay. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't already follow us on iTunes, rate and review me there. I love reading those reviews. They're just delightful. And, um, thank you to Nadine for help with production. Okay. Thanks everyone. See you next week. Bye. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees.
Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.